Welcome to the Down the Road podcast covering your Lakeland Magic. I'm Nick Grunowitz, the voice of your Lakeland Magic. In this edition, I go one-on-one with Lakeland Magic head coach Stan Heath. No coach has won more games in the NBA G League since 2017 when the Lakeland Magic moved from Erie to Polk County. Uh, In this conversation, Stan and I are going to talk about what he's been up to during this coronavirus pandemic, a little bit about just how the team came about to exist there in Lakeland, how he ended up being there, uh, and the kind of up and down topsy-turvy season that the Magic had with all of these injuries this year, including a stint where they lost four of their five starters during a five-game homestand. And what does the team look for in two-way players? We've seen quite a few come through Lakeland uh, over the first three seasons. So uh, Stan Heath is a guy that I know very well, covered him during his time at USF when I was there, and uh, I've really enjoyed covering him the last three years in Lakeland. So let's get to that conversation now. Me and the head coach of your Lakeland Magic, Stan Heath. And I'm pleased to be joined now on the Down the Road podcast, our third episode by the head coach of your Lakeland Magic. He is Stan Heath, and he joins us now. Uh, quick note here, I have actually never covered a basketball team, collegiate or pro, without Stan on the sidelines. So uh, yeah. I've become very accustomed to Stan roaming those sidelines, and I appreciate the time, Stan. How are you? I'm good, Nick, and uh, good, to, good to talk to you, and uh, I was always wondering what our lucky charm was. Now I figured it out. You've been hanging around with us, and it's been uh, very helpful in our success these three years. 85 wins for you as the head coach of the Lakeland Magic since, of course, the team relocated to Polk County three years ago. That's more wins than any franchise in the G League over that span. Um, and yeah, I, I covered, I covered, of course, your USF team. I left USF in 2013 and then, uh, you of course, not too long after that. And then of course, when, uh, when Lakeland relocated, uh, you and I were both, both part of the team. So I'm, I'm glad to be on the same team with you again. It's been a joy watching you, uh, these three years coach this team, kind of, kind of get this team figured out with all the roster changes and all that. L- let me start here. What has Stan Heath been up to during the, uh, the coronavirus pandemic? What, what have you been, what have you been doing? Well, you know, first I hope all of our fans and, and you know, families, teammates and staff members and everybody magic uh, Orlando and Lakeland are healthy and safe at this point in time. Obviously it's a very, um, you know, serious situation that we're all going through and everybody's handling it differently, not just physically of being able to stay at home, stay at home. And, and some people are on the front lines, but also just the mental side of it too. But, you know, I've been, you know, I've been fine. I mean, I, I wish I was out, you know, we were in the playoffs with the magic and I wish, uh, you know, the, all the summer things, the draft things we normally would be doing this time of year would be going on, but uh, safety is the most important thing. But in the meantime, uh, I've been home with my wife and, uh, I've got a couple of grandkids that come over um, a few times during the week and uh, I've tried to keep up health wise. I, I do a little bit of either walking, running or riding a bike every day. And uh, it's not a whole lot to do other than maybe sometimes the highlight of your day is going to the supermarket. But I'll read a book. Um, probably, probably the most important thing I've done, I think it's been good for me, is just reconnecting with not just my immediate family, with my wife and kids. I have a son that's uh, overseas. He played in Belgium, and so he stayed there. But uh, keeping track of my father, who lives in Michigan, my sisters, and uh, we had like Zoom family reunion uh, on Sunday last week. So uh, just just kind of touching base, and even you know 
colleagues, coaches, and just people I know, just really, you know, communicating with people that, you know, over the years we've built relationships with and, uh, you know, checking on people and, you know, just getting an update on how they're doing in their lives as well. Yeah, I've said a couple of times during all of this, and, and, and the phrase silver lining is used, and I'm not sure if that's an appropriate phrase, but uh, one of the things that I think all of us are going to take out of this, Stan, is, you know, I, I think sometimes we take friendships, even those, you know, just kind of in the office or people that we know for granted, and, and, and you're right, like, I, I'm doing, like, you know, happy hour with my friends, you know, on Zoom, and we're just sitting there kind of talking, having a, having a cold drink, and I think we're going to do more of that whenever this is over is kind of maybe keep those plans that we might cancel because we we know hey like this isn't always guaranteed i i totally agree and and uh you know i i do think that that's that is probably the silver lining in all this is just you know those relationships and uh even even for me i've had you know four or five different players that i've coached you know back in the early 2000s or you know even south florida players and arkansas players or kent state michigan state players that We've all kind of connected with in in different ways. So, um, yeah, you know, if if we can we can all learn maybe from this experience of the importance of relationships and and, and put more of a value on that and and helping people, uh, you know, we can be all the better for it. Stan, let's uh, let's get into a little bit of basketball here. Um, the Magic were twenty five and seventeen. The Lakeland team, of course. Um, at the time that the G League season was postponed, you guys had won what was it, six straight games? Emil Jefferson sure. played in his seventh. Yeah, played in his seventh game. You guys were seven and zero with Emil Jefferson uh, after kind of a regular season that had been up and down. It felt like this team had kind of just hit its stride, was ready to start playing its best basketball. Did you feel that way when the season was postponed? That you guys maybe finally just started hitting your stride? Absolutely. Um, you know. Anthony Parker, our general manager, and, and Tunji Adedipe, um, we all talked about kind of how we saw the season maybe playing out. And um, we had two roster spots with uh, Chuma, uh, our, our lottery pick, or our, our first-round pick, I'm sorry, our first-round pick for the Orlando Magic and Justin Jackson, uh, who both were on our roster but not playing. So you're talking about two big pieces that uh, were not playing. And then at the same time, um, uh, you know, we had a roster that after a period of time, the Orlando Magic had injuries. Mm-hmm. I had guys out, so Josh Majette was up quite a bit. Uh, B.J. Johnson became a two-way. Uh, he was up quite a bit. Vic Law became a two-way. He was up quite a bit. And so we had this roller coaster ride of, of having, you know, some of your top players not even with you, along with the fact maybe, I can't remember what it was, but I think it was game somewhere around game 20 or maybe 18, we had maybe four significant injuries. Isaac Humphreys went out, uh, so he missed a, a, a long period of time. We didn't have him. Um, we um, obviously with Josh out, he actually had an injury as well too. So we had about uh, we lost uh, JD Tis with Tisdale. We lost um, Domingo. Domingo, yeah, yeah, Domingo. He 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 got hurt during that time as well too, and so we had to redo our roster. And fortunately, we were to add some pieces that down the road really helped us. And, you know, one of those was Andrew Rousey, who was just a Where'd you unbelievable find that guy? shooter score. You know <laughs> what? He was sitting at home. He was he was literally on the waiver wire. And uh, as I said, our scouts, uh, you know, uh, Anthony and Tunji, as well as Trent, uh, our, our guys that kind of run the front office, 
uh, they just kind of had a, you know, uh, an eye on him uh, of a guy. Because we knew we needed a guy who could shoot. Shooting was kind of a problem in scoring during that time. Um, and, and, and another ball handler. And so what happened was we just brought him in. I had no idea who he was. I kind of heard of his name because I knew he played at Marquette. But I didn't know who he was. And one day, you know, this is – there's this guy sitting over. He's got a beard and he's got glasses on. And I mean, we swear we thought he was a reporter. He was getting ready to. Do a I thought he was I the mean, ball boy, Stan. I thought he was I the mean, ball boy when you put him in. <laughs> I mean, Andrew Rousey, if you see, I mean, he's about. I mean, he, he's gonna be mad with me when I say this, mm-hmm. but he's about five foot eight or nine or something like that, and he does not look like a basketball player. And I mean, it's almost like a movie you would want to write because, you know, once the kid kind of got his rhythm a little bit, I mean, he could just fill it up. And he was such instant offense. So he carried a big load when he came in. And I also think picking up Isaiah Isaiah Armwood uh, was a big help as well, too. Our front line was pretty much decimated. Um, we, you know, didn't have uh, – early on we thought we had Emil Jefferson. We didn't have him. We didn't have, you know, the Chumas or Justin Jacksons. We had the injuries to Isaac Humphreys. And we had Regis uh, – and that was pretty much kind of our, our front line for a while, along with Kai. And so we we were just struggling. So our, okay, going going back to what I was saying earlier, our conversations during that time was like, hey, look, if we can just hang in there, you know, just kind of stay afloat, stay in the mix, help is coming, you know, we'll make some adjustments to our roster and we'll get things figured out. And, you know, I really think, you know, by the end of the year, we were the best basketball team in the G League. I really felt like this team had as good a chance as anybody to win and, and win the whole thing. And if you remember, even during that stretch of that six wins, mm-hmm. we went to Maine, who had one of the best records in the in the East, beat them. We went to uh, Grand Rapids, who had one of the better records in the East, beat them at their at their places. And and these games were like you know double figure wins. So it wasn't like you know it was like and, and so and we were and really we're just scratching the surface of how good we can be. And we were, I think there was one other team that won six in a row. So we were one of the two hottest teams in the league at that time. Yeah. And also during that run, you guys went to college park and you were down big Stan. I I hate to admit it. I I turned the game off. I I was watching the game from home because I don't travel with you guys. And you were down, I think 32, 33. And I was like, all right, well, you know, it was for the, it was for the Southeast division lead. And, I turned the game off and all of a sudden got a text from from Aaron uh, was Aaron Hayes, uh, our our operations mm-hmm, girl, who's who who's who does a great job with with Lakeland, and she said turn it back on and and I did, and you guys had come back and and Josh Majet was just filthy in that game. Yeah. That's not the first time you guys have come down from a big number. Uh, I think at least during your yeah. run as the head coach, you've had two uh, two thirty plus point comebacks. What what is it about? I don't know if it's about the way that you coach, the way that the culture is there. It feels like you guys. It doesn't matter what the number is. You guys are never out of the game. What what is what is it about that? I think yeah, I think you hit it right there. It's the culture. Uh, we we've established a really good culture, and and it's the players. I mean, it's those two things. You, it's the combination. The players make the culture, and and then you got to have you know a little bit of luck on your side too. But, you know, Josh Majette at this time, like we, you know, my first year it happened and we were mm-hmm. down 30 against Fort Wayne going into the third quarter or actually during the third quarter, maybe like eight, maybe seven or eight minutes to go in the third. And then we were able to pull that win off. And that was the biggest win we've ever had. But uh, that college park was a big game because as you said, it had a lot of meaning at their place. We were down 24. So 
at halftime. And, uh, you know, I tell you what, um, you know, there's a lot of cred that goes around, obviously, when you, when you win games like that. And we had, I don't know, four or five different comeback wins or buzzer wins, games on last shots. And I tell you, in this season, the magic of Josh Majette was just unbelievable. I mean, we were, I'll never forget the game we were at, uh, we played at home against Greensboro. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were a little bit depleted in that game, too. And we were down by three with under five seconds to go. Actually, with three seconds to go, taking it outside of bounds. And Josh hit a, not only hit a three, but he got fouled. And he got a four-point play, and we won the game by one. So he won he won several games on buzzard shots. And so it takes that combination of, I think, you know, guys that never want to give up, that are going to keep competing, that never feel like they're out, uh, that have a lot of pride. And then at the same time, um, you have, um, you know, a guy, a guy or two who have the ability to make big-time plays. And we have quite a few of those guys, but Josh Majette really sticks out in that, in that area. Yeah, I remember him coming into Lakeland uh, your first season uh, there in Lakeland with uh, the – it must have been Erie, right? We have been Erie. the Erie Bayhawks, and I was Erie. like, who mm-hmm. – who is this dude? Who is this guy? Who, who kind of right. like he's right. like Pistol Pete Maravich, the way that he's able to to <laughs> to get the ball and 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 just kind of he's a wizard with it. You you mentioned the Greensboro game, the the game against Capital City this year where he stole one. Yeah, he stole one from them too. Uh, he had he was having an outstanding season. Uh, and when you talk about probably the season not being finished, um, you know I he, know. He was right on. He was right on line to take over as the all-time assists uh, leader yep. in G League history. Yep. He had to average about thirteen or fourteen a game every game, which which he's capable of. Uh, this is doable. Very yeah. doable for him. Yeah. It's doable. Yeah, he's he's a special special player. And and uh, I remember when uh, Anthony Parker came to me and goes, "Hey, you know, what do you think about Josh Majette as a two-way player?" I, I almost like <laughs> flipped over and said, "Are you kidding me? If we can get him." Uh, he's, you know, he's just a special player. And as you say, you know, he and guys like Rob, they don't look the part, but boy, they are, they are guys that translate into winning and, uh, your, your team playing well. And, you know, I think the important thing when, what we do here a little bit different with our organization and, and Anthony gets a lot of credit for it because we really like our two way guys to not just be good players, but to have, you know, winning mentalities and, and, and intangible ingredients as well as guys who, uh, uh, you know, can kind of bring out the best in other players around them. And, and Josh, you know, Emil Jefferson, you know, the guys we've had, Troy Copain down the road, we've had several guys like that that just infuse that winning attitude and make other guys better around them. You know, what's that conversation like with the two-way players? I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask you. You had B.J. Johnson there. You had Vic Law there, of course, after Majette got uh, pulled up and 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 got the ten day contract, but it does feel like for you guys, there's a little bit more culture consideration than just talent consideration with two way guys. Yeah. Is yeah. there a conversation that is more like, hey, we're not sure about the next level for you, but we know we want to make you a priority in the organization. What what's that like in terms of setting expectations for guys that you bring in? Well, you know, I don't think you ever. I don't think it ever gets to the point where the player himself doesn't think he has a chance. Cause if you have a, if you're, if you're on a two way, you're, you're right on the edge, you know, maybe your edge is, you know, closer than others or further away, but you're on the edge and there's just a, maybe an ingredient or two that we're still looking at that maybe can help get you over the top or maybe it's just an opportunity. But I do think for the most part, um, you know, those two ways you, you feel a part of 
the NBA because you get those days up. You get practice days. You get some travel. You get um, some one-on-one experience with the coaching staff and with the players on the team. So I do think that, um, you know, it's a, it's a great position to have. If you're not on a roster, I'm not sure there's another better job uh, than, than being a two-way player. Maybe, you know, a high-paid overseas guy. I don't know. But I do think um, for us, and we always have this conversation, that a little bit less a talent player, but more intangibles of, of winning and work habits and wanting it and all those different things that are intangibles, um, it is more important for us. Um, if, if you got the guy that, man, has all the talent in the world, can really, you know, uh, you know he's, he's tall, he can jump, he has all the metrics to be an NBA player, but his attitude, his work ethic is not there, that's not our guy. And, and we really look for that when we're choosing two ways. Yeah, I, you guys definitely do. I think when you look at Jamel Artis and, and Troy Copain and, and the guys that you've had come through, that's that's definitely true. I, I did want to ask you, Stan, about some of the lo- some of the recent news about the G League, um, and I'm not sure how much you've been following it, though I'm sure you've had an ear on it during uh, the pandemic here, but th- this new G League select team, pathway to the NBA mm-hmm. team that – you know, the, that kind of got announced last week. And a couple of people I know in the league yeah. said we hadn't heard anything about this. Um, who's it? Jalen Green and, and Isaiah Todd. What, what do you think about this new initiative that the NBA and the G League are rolling out kind of as an alternative for, you know, big-time blue-chip recruits and that don't want to go to college to keep them yeah. from going overseas? What do you think of it? I think it's a great idea. And I, I applaud the G League and the NBA for thinking out of the box and maybe creating another pathway for guys that uh, – you know, have talent, have ability, and maybe, you know, college isn't the thing for them, or maybe they want to make a jump earlier, but because of the rules, they can't. It's another pathway for them. And uh, I do think, uh, you know, I don't know all the details, and, and I'm probably, you know, just like you, just what I read, what I hear is, is what I'm saying. Um, you know, but it, it, it appears to me, you know, they're going, the development piece, not just basketball, but life skill is, is, is kind of the, focal point and the ability to play games against G League competition or international competition or, you know, all the different competitions out there for kids like that. I think it's a, I think it's worthwhile. I really do. I mean, it's, I think it's better than the alternative of, you know, sometimes you get guys that, um, that don't want to go to school, but go to school and, and, you know, literally after six months, it's, I mean, they're really just playing basketball and not going to class. And so now this is a more productive Avenue for them. And I think, um, I'm excited to see how it kind of plays out. And I do think that they're putting people around these young men, whether it's the coaching, the staff, or development people um, that can really enhance their growth and get them, um, you know, where they need to be. But I think it's both. I think it's not just, hey, we're picking a guy that has talent. I think they're picking the right guys. I think they're trying to pick the right guys that fit these criteria that, that are really going to try to utilize all the – areas of growth to, to make this a, a, a really sustainable and a productive um, a, a league for these players. Yeah, and you've coached in college. You've coached in, in the pros, Stan, so I, I think that you're, you're uniquely qualified to kind of discuss some of the differences here. I think that what a lot of people are – are missing is there's going to be kind of like a a, a board of of experts that are going to invite these kids. It's not going to be everybody. And 
Um, there, there are kids who definitely kind of are going right now to school and they, like you said, they spend six months and it's okay. I, I want to go play basketball. I mean, we all remember the, you know, the LSU season for Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons was just waiting to go to the NBA and that's, yeah, that's, that's basically it. But as a, as a coach who is in the G league and I know that, you know, their guys are in the league trying to earn some attention, earn a roster spot, you know, at the next level is, is, do you think that there's going to be a little bit of, of, how do I want to put this? Um, I guess a little bit of a reaction from the G League where, hey, this is this select team may take some attention away from my guys if you've got one team of 15 kids that may go high in the draft? Well, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. It is what it is. I mean, mm-hmm. these, are, these are young players that are going to become available anyway. I mean, they were either going to be one year in college, evaluating, going pro, and being in a draft and being on a roster, or they're going to be in this environment. So, that the, the the pool is not going to grow or shrink. It's just it's just still the pool. Um, the G League is a different route for for players. You know, I don't, they're they're not necessarily in the they're not in the draft at all. You know, these these are guys that have already either got drafted and maybe it didn't work out that way, or they didn't get drafted, or maybe after two three years of professional basketball, they have developed more you know maybe they've gotten bigger stronger their jump shots improved their feel for the game has improved they just they've enhanced themselves where they're right on um they're on course to maybe make a roster make a team so it's it's just a different route to get there it's not and then so that route that uh, these kids are on is totally different than the route of a g league player um you know as i watch you know i think we're all watching um the last dance yeah. And you see guys like Scottie Pippen and you see guys like Dennis Rodman. If you're good, you're good. They're going to find you. It doesn't matter where you're playing at. If you're good enough, they're going to find you and you're going to get that opportunity. Yeah, I was I was eight years old uh, living in on the north side of Chicago during all this that's going on in the last dance and did not know that Scottie Pippen was the equipment manager for Central Arkansas, <laughs> which if that's not an Andrew Rousey type of story where it's like, oh, yeah. Exactly unbelievable it's an it's an unbelievable thing uh stan i i i got a couple more questions we'll, we'll get you we'll get you moving here i understand you're you're up against it a little bit but uh, i kind of wanted to get back to how you ended up in the g league how you ended up the head coach of the lakeland magic because you were at usf you're you spent what was it you spent a season at boston college as an assistant coach how how did you get approached to be the head coach of the Lakeland Magic, and what did you know about that? Because when I got the G League job as the broadcaster, I had to be honest. I was sitting in the interview like, yeah, the G League. I I know I know about this. This is definitely a league. What did you know about the about the G League? Uh, that's a, that's a really good question. So, uh, as you mentioned, I was, I was at South Florida, and then I spent a couple years with uh, Jim Christian, who who and I, he and I worked together when I was the head coach at Kent State. Um. So I was there for a couple of years and then it just so happened um, Orlando magic had a change in, in their front office. So mm-hmm. Jeff Weltman was hired as president. John Hammond was hired as the general manager. And I've known John Hammond for a long, long time. I actually, when I was at South Florida, I don't know if you remember this name, but I had Jordan Dumars oh, yeah. on my team and that's Joe Dumars son. So uh, Joe at that time was the president of basketball operations for the Detroit Pistons. And John Hammond was the general manager for the Detroit Pistons at that time. So during that time, I got to know, you know, pretty much their whole staff, um, you know, during those years, Detroit Pistons, their, their front office, because, 
you know, obviously, if you if you have Joe's kids, mm-hmm. Joe's going to be, uh, you know, uh, going to kind of and, and and Joe helped me. He brought me to training camp, and so I got to know those guys. But basically, to make a long story short, I knew John through the years. When John became the GM, I just reached out to him randomly. It had nothing to do with the G League. It was just, hey, congrats. Um, my family was still living in Tampa, Florida. I still live in Tampa, Florida right now. Even though I was at Boston College, I was my family was still here in Tampa. We we just relocated into a different area. Um, so I called John, just wished him luck, told him he's going to love Florida. The weather's great. And, uh, you know, have a, you know, really enjoy yourself, blah, blah, blah. So I, that was it. And then really he, I, he didn't answer my phone call. I just left a message. So about two weeks later, he calls me out of the blue. He goes, Hey, Stan, <laughs> you, know, you know, I don't know if you know, John, he talks real fast. Goes, yeah. Hey, Stan, he goes, uh, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm up at Boston college. He goes, Hey, Hey, we got this team. And at that time, the team was in Erie. Eerie. And and the team had just moved from Erie to Lakeland. He goes, hey, we got this team that's moving to Lakeland, and I knew you lived in Florida. He didn't even know. I don't think he even knew I was in Boston College. He goes, we're moving it to Florida. And, uh, you know, hey, I don't know if you ever thought about the NBA or the pro stuff or had any interest in that. And so one thing led to another. We started talking, and boom, here I am. So that's, that's kind of it – just, it just randomly happened. And it was just – for me, it was just good because obviously I got a chance to come back to Tampa. My family was already here. The team's in Lakeland, and I live in Tampa, and Orlando is obviously an hour and 15 minutes away. So it just worked out like it was just a good fit. And obviously the program was very intriguing to me, um, being, um, being able to be a head coach. Um, and just something new and exciting um, for me was, was just very appealing. Um, it's basketball. I know that. But it is a different basketball. Uh, I think if you ever watch a college game, a G League game, you'll see the – the speed of the game, the maybe the different nuances in the game, and, and the talent level of these players. I don't think that um, these kids, even if they're not quite the NBA player, I'm not sure they get the credit they deserve they of don't. how talented they really they're are. They're so good, Stan. Uh, yeah, they're, they're so, so good. good. And, and the game, even sometimes I'll have referees who, who referee both the NBA and the G League, and they'll say, man, the G League game. And, and that, I'm not saying what's better with this. It is it might be a faster game than the NBA game. These guys are getting up and down. They're they're doing some very exciting things. So um, it's it's actually fun. Like I know sometimes people say, well, I think there's this misnomer of, hey, G League guys, maybe they're you know you're, you're dealing with some tough guys. These guys are professional. Um, they have families. They 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 have futures. They're looking at. Um, they become very mature. They've kind of gotten past maybe mistakes they've had maybe in the past, and and some are. You know, you get a guy like Josh Majetta or Emil Jefferson. Emil Jefferson is the winningest pro player in Duke history. And and then you also add in the fact that during last summer, he was taking classes at Harvard in order to get a uh, a master's in, um, you know, I think sports administration or different areas to be, become basically a sports leader. So, I mean, there are some guys in here that are very special, special guys that you get a chance to interact with. Yeah, Emil Jefferson might end up being the president of the NCAA one day or something like he, that. I he mean, very well could be. He really could be. Yeah, he's a really, really smart guy, and, and, and you're right about that. It's a great product. Uh, we've been watching the NBA Horse Challenge, or we were, while it was going on, and I know that I know the production quality kind of bombed, but it, it sparked a conversation uh, on my radio show about NBA players that you feel like you could beat a horse. And I got into an argument with my co-host, and I said, you're not beating any of these guys. And furthermore, you're not beating a single guy in the G League. That's how good they are. They don't miss. That is true. No, 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 don't, don't. If you're trying to put 
I think I think somebody somebody said this. That would be like uh, saying, I don't even know. But no, there's there's just no chance. I mean, these guys are really good at what they're doing, their craft. So beating them in horse would. I mean, unless you have some phenomenal trick shots, it would be really hard. Nah, they would they would absolutely toy with you. Well, Stan, man, I really do appreciate the time um, during this this uh, kind of quarantine pandemic. Uh, you know, the post the postponed season. We're not sure what kind of basketball we're going to get back, but we hope that we uh, we do get it at some yeah, point sure in time. Do. Yeah. Um, but uh, I do know uh, at least uh, you know we'll have a season next year in the G League, and uh, the Lakeland Magic will be back at some point, and and uh, we'll get it rolling. Stan, I really do appreciate the time, man. Thank you. Look forward to it. Stay safe out there. Thank you. And there it is, my conversation with Lakeland Magic head coach Stan Heath. Uh, Stan has done an outstanding job in three seasons with the Lakeland Magic. Looking forward to uh, many, many more. Uh, appreciate you joining us today here on the Down the Road podcast. If you could, please rate, review, subscribe uh, on your favorite podcast app, whatever that may be. Uh, and if you want to drop me a tweet, whatever that may be, uh, or a message, you can. You can find me on Twitter at ESPN580Nick, at ESPN580NICK. Uh, if you just want to talk some hoops, you want to throw a question in there that you want, we've got Troy Copain, Emil Jefferson coming up on the pod. Uh, we can do that as well. I'm going to ask him about that Harvard thing that Stan mentioned. Not too bad. But until next time uh, on the Down the Road podcast, appreciate you tuning in. <laughs>